You know, it was January of 1981 that a small group of people met in the heart of Alabaster with a desire to plant a church. They prayed and they sought the Lord. And on January the 4th, they met together and 176 people covenanted together and Westwood was born. And little did they know that over the next 43 years, God would use Westwood to reach thousands of people with the gospel, to send millions of dollars to the nations, and to plant churches right here in Shelby County. You see, this is a church that has a heart for the gospel. We are a a Jesus-loving people. Why? Because Jesus has changed everything about us. We're a people who rally around the gospel. We gather every week to lift high the name of Jesus because he is the one who has rescued us from sin and death and hell and the grave. And he is the one who has transformed us from one kingdom into a new kingdom, that we're a new kind of people. Where sin entered into the world through Adam, we see that we have eternal life and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. You see, outside of Christ, man is separated from God. God is holy, just, and perfect in all of his ways. We are a people who have all turned our backs and our hearts against him. And because of sin, there is separation between God and man. Well, the good news of the gospel is that when man could not get to God, God came to us in the person of Jesus Christ, who was 100% man and 100% God. And through his death on the cross, he made a bridge. He made a way for man and God to be restored, to be reconciled, to be brought back to a right relationship with one another. For at the cross, all of the wrath of God towards sin was placed upon Jesus, and all of our sin was placed upon Jesus. And so now in Christ, we are a forgiven people. We are a people who've been transformed and changed by this gospel. And through this Savior, who gave his life at the cross, was buried but didn't stay dead. From the third day, he rose back from the dead. He defeated death. And so too will all who trust in Jesus by faith. This is the gospel that we love. This is the gospel that we treasure. Because this gospel changes everything about us. It not only changes the trajectory of our lives, but the trajectory of our eternity. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become brand new. And you see, it is the mission of God to get this gospel to the ends of the earth. To to bring all people from the four corners of the earth into a saving relationship through Jesus Christ. And it's this gospel that God desires to get to all people. And the vehicle that God designed to get the gospel to the ends of the earth is the church. And what we're going to see this morning is how God designed healthy church planting to be the vehicle to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. That is what we see in Acts chapter 14. Let me show you. Grab your Bible. And turn with me to Acts chapter 14. We're going through the book of Acts together as a faith family, studying this great historical narrative written by Luke. 
He's giving meticulous detail as he's telling the story of how the early church was birthed and came into existence. We saw this back in Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost and we see where 3,000 people believe the gospel, they're baptized and the church is born. We've seen from Acts 2, the gospel spreading outward from Jerusalem into Judea and then into Samaria. And what we have seen lately is to the ends of the earth. When we got to Acts chapter 13, we saw where the church at Antioch, a healthy gospel-centered church that loves the word. These are people who want to see the gospel go forth. They prayed and the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work that I've called them to do. And so Paul and Barnabas begin this first missionary journey, beginning in Acts 13. From Acts 13, we see where they make their first stop at the island of Cyprus. They have a a healthy ministry there, which they're reaching people with the gospel. We see people's lives being changed. They then head north up into the region of Galatia, which is part of modern-day Turkey. And it's there that they preached in Perga, in Pisidian Antioch, in Iconium, and Lystra. And that's where we now pick up in Acts 14, beginning with verse 21. And the scripture says this. After they had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them, it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. After they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. After they arrived and gathered the church together, They reported everything God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a considerable time with the disciples. At the end of Acts 14, we see Paul and Barnabas circling back through the cities in which they have already preached the gospel. And as they make their way back to their sending church in Antioch, they stop along the way to strengthen the disciples and to plant healthy local churches in each town. What I want us to see this morning, I want you to notice these four key components of healthy church planting and how we today can be a part of what God is doing in fulfilling the mission through Westwood. I want you to see first, the healthy church planting includes a culture of evangelism and discipleship. It's a culture of evangelism and discipleship. Verse 21 says, After they had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples. Well, which town is Paul? Uh, is Paul, is Paul uh, easy now, is Luke referring to? I keep wanting to say Paul. He didn't write it. Luke did. Luke's referring to. Verse 20, it's Derby. Derby was like the, the last stop at the end of a cul-de-sac. And now they're headed back out of the neighborhood in the same way that they came. Derby was the last town that Paul and Barnabas visited on this first missionary journey, and now they're headed back to Antioch. And did you see what Paul and Barnabas were doing in Derby? It says there in the text, they were preaching the gospel. You see, evangelism is the key component of healthy church planting, but moreover, it is an essential component of being a healthy Christ follower. 
See, all believers are evangelists. Westwood, I want you to hear me. All of us are missionaries. God has strategically planted you in this community at this time for such a time as this. And he's planted you as a missionary in which you know the culture, the language, the people. You have relationships. You have skin in the game. And we are here in this community to reach people with the gospel. Now, God may call and raise up and send out certain people from our church to go to the nations or to a new city or to a new state to preach Christ. But for now, we're missionaries here. We are a people who are evangelistic. And as I'm praying for our church, that God would create a culture of evangelism, that we were a people who are soul winners. At the people at your workplace, the people you play ball with, the people who are your neighbors, man, they are people whom God has placed in your life so that you might show and tell them the love of Jesus Christ. You see, followers of Jesus who do not regularly engage unbelievers in sharing Jesus are going to grow stagnant in their faith. You see, as a saturated sponge that just sits stagnant, it's going to eventually stink. Christians who are not active in evangelism will eventually stink. Here's what I've found. Christians who are regularly sharing the gospel, they rarely complain. They don't. They're humble. They're grateful. They're compassionate. There are people who are eager to see people come to faith in, in Christ. They're like sponges that soak up the word of God, and then they wring themselves out for the sake of others coming to know Christ. Question, have you found yourself growing lukewarm in your faith in Christ? Have you lost your first love? Has your white hot passion for Jesus begun to wane? Hear me on this. Evangelism is a spiritual discipline that shakes the rust off a stagnant faith. That when you get involved in evangelism, all of a sudden, you're going to see where the spiritual maturity and growth begins to return. Why? Because God does so many things when you become an evangelist. You're inviting unbelievers to believe upon Jesus. You're increasing in your dependence upon Christ. You're put in positions in which you're sharing Jesus with somebody, and you're just like, okay, God, if you don't come through, this is a total failure. There's a dependency that happens. Also, God begins to stir your heart for unbelievers and gives you a compassion for them. You start having this heart for people who are far from God. But then God also increases the intensity of your prayer life. You begin praying for unbelievers by name. You have this heart for them to come to know Christ. You become like what Paul is like in the in Romans chapter 9, verse 1, in which he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish for my kinsmen according to the flesh. And he goes on to say, I'd be willing to give up my salvation if the Jews would come to know Jesus. And he says, I have great sorrow, unceasing anguish. There are tears in Paul's eyes as he thinks about unbelieving Jews. Question, who are you weeping over? Are there people in your life who are far from God and you are so broken over their spiritual condition that you're just weeping, God, would you save them? But then we become like what Paul says in Romans 10, verse 1, in which he says, I pray that they might have their eyes open to the gospel, that this 
heart for unbelievers. It leads to a prayer for them to come to know Christ. And then he says in Romans, later on in Romans 10, how he shares the gospel. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And this is the gospel that Paul is holding fast to. You see, evangelism pushes us out of our comfort zones and into spiritual warfare. Where you and I are, we're wrestling for the souls of men and women. And you never know the full impact of what you're having on people's lives, even on future generations, when you share the gospel. In fact, if you were to fast forward to Acts chapter 20, you come across a guy who's traveling with the apostle Paul. His name's Gaius. Gaius is from Derby, right here, verse 20. Gaius... Is, was a believer who came to faith in Christ through this first missionary journey. And later, he would begin joining Paul on this missionary journey of preaching the gospel. Your co-worker at work, your neighbor across the fence, that teammate you throw a ball to, you have no idea how God may use them to reach thousands with the gospel. You have no idea. It begins by you stepping out in faith and sharing Christ. But you see, church planting isn't just evangelism. It's also discipleship. You see, evangelism and discipleship are two sides of the same church planting coin. Paul and Barnabas, they risk their lives retracing their steps of their mission trip. They start heading back through Lystra. Now, we remember what happened to Paul in Lystra. We saw this last week in verse 20. That as he's in there preaching the gospel, he is stoned and he is dragged outside of the city and they think he's dead. But then the church comes, the disciples, they rally around him, they pray over him, they care for him, and he gets back up and goes right back into the heart of the city. Well, after going to Derby, he's now headed right back into Lystra again. But who is God going to reach through Paul's ministry in Lystra? Well, as we're going to see when we get to Acts 16, a young man named Timothy. That Timothy is from Lystra, and he's going to come to faith in Christ. And we're going to get there when we get to Acts 16. I'm getting ahead of myself. But then they head to Iconium, and then they head to Pisidian Antioch. Well, where are they going? What are they doing on this circle back tour? Well, look at verse 22. It says they're strengthening the disciples. See, Paul wasn't about making converts. He was about making disciples. Paul wanted to see disciples made and multiplied. All right, so Kenneth, what is a disciple? Okay, elementary definition, here you go. A disciple is a fully devoted follower of Jesus. That's what a disciple is. A fully devoted follower of Jesus. The church makes those. That's what we make. The way we say it here at Westwood is we exist to invest in people who will impact their world for Jesus. We make disciples, people who become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And this is the task that Jesus left for me and you to be doing, right? Matthew 28, when Jesus went up on the mountain, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm going to be with you even to the end of the age. This is the mission that Christ has left for us. 
and the vehicle through which disciple-making takes place is the church. The church is the vehicle through which the Great Commission is to be fulfilled. And this is what Paul and Barnabas are doing. And they're looking to plant these churches. But notice how they discipled them. It's right here in the text. Through encouragement and teaching. Encouragement and teaching. Encouragement and teaching. They would encourage the disciples, look at verse 22, to persevere in the faith. They're like, listen, don't quit. Don't walk away. Don't abandon the gospel. You keep following Jesus. You persevere. Hang in there. Persecution is coming for the believer. And they knew this. They saw how Paul was treated the last time he had come through their city as the Jews rose up against him and sought to persecute him. And they're, they're letting them know, you, gotta incur, you need to be encouraged to persevere. Remain steadfast in the midst of trials. This is encouragement. Now, this is kind of a sweet spot for Barnabas. If you remember, his real name is Joseph, but he was so good at encouragement, he got the nickname Encouragement. Barnabas, son of encouragement. You see, encouragement is a weapon that you can use to help brothers and sisters to persevere in the faith. That through your words of encouragement, God can use you to help brothers and sisters persevere in the midst of hardship. And we've talked about this. The thing about encouragement is it's free. It doesn't cost you anything. But through your words, God very well may inspire and strengthen someone to remain steadfast in the midst of hardship. I've shared with you the story about how Christy and I were going through a really hard season in life and in marriage. And, and we were just facing a lot of stress and struggle. And we didn't feel like we got the encouragement that we needed from people in our lives. And so this brother of mine, his name's Nathan, the pastor now in Indiana, he came up to me and put his hand on my shoulder. He says, Kenneth, God is showing you favor. And I wept. I needed encouragement. And it was such an impactful word in my life. We named our youngest son after him. Because there's something about a believer coming alongside and encouraging one another. Here's the, the challenge I want to place before you, every person here. Every time we gather on this campus, for whatever reason, I want you to make it your mission to encourage two people. Just encourage them. You put your arm on, on their shoulder and say, listen, I am so thankful for you and how God is working in your life. Hey, I, I am so sorry for what you're walking through right now. I want you to know I am praying for you. In fact, we're going to stop and we're going to pray right here and now. I love walking in hallways in the atrium and seeing all of us individually just putting hands and just praying for one another. By the way, you have freedom to do that, right? My house will be a house of prayer. We're a people of prayer, the house of Christ, that we are a people who are regularly seeking the Lord and praying on behalf of one another. Last week, I was finishing up the last service and about to head to the prayer hallway to grab my bag and a few last things. And I walk in there and there's about 15 women gathered together in a circle. And I was like, uh oh, I just walked in on something. And I walked in and I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And they said, no, 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 come on in here. And what were they doing? They were praying for a college student from our church who's going to Greece on a mission trip this week. And they said, we want to pray for her and we're going to encourage her. 
And I walked in and I got to lock arms with these sisters and we began to pray down for God to work in and through this sister as she takes the gospel to Greece. That's what we do as followers of Jesus. We encourage one another. We strengthen one another with our words. May we have a culture of encouragement in which we're championing and cheering one another on. We want to see one another passionately following hard after Christ and we come alongside and we affirm and we celebrate. We encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. Paul and Barnabas are going into these cities where disciples are in the minority. Churches don't have all of these First Amendment rights. They're facing difficulty and hardship. And so what are they doing? They're encouraging them. They're, they're walking alongside them. But they're not only encouraging them, they're also teaching them. They're teaching them. We see this in verse 22. Telling them what? It is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Paul and Barnabas were giving these churches a theology of suffering. They were strengthening these churches by telling them, this is what you're going to have to endure to persevere to the end. You see, following Jesus is a call to suffer. It's a call to hardship. It's a call to go against the grain of culture. It's a call to not be liked by this world. And it's going to require you to persevere, to endure hardship. But hear me, the suffering is worth it because you gain Christ. 19th century British pastor J.C. Ryle said it like this. He said, a single day in hell will be worse than a whole life spent carrying the cross. See, daily denying yourself, picking up your cross and following Jesus, it's costly, but it's worth it. We gain Christ. And Wes would hear me on this. We are a people who follow Jesus, not the other way around. Jesus does not follow us. We do not set the direction or the pace of where we're going to spend our lives or how we're going to spend our lives. When you became a follower of Jesus, you lost that right of trying to dictate your own life, of being the captain of your own ship. Instead, quite literally, Jesus comes and it's a takeover. It's not a makeover. It's a takeover. And Jesus transforms you and says, I'm going to lead you now. I'm going to be your shepherd. And you're going to follow me. I am your king. You're under my rule and reign. I'm now your master. You now serve me. I'm now your Lord. And now... You're going to follow me. I'm your best friend. and I'm going to care for you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to walk beside you. And never for a second am I going to leave you. I'm never going to divorce you. I'm never going to walk away from you. I'm never going to abandon you. I'm your faithful Savior. I'm your friend your name is written in my book. Your name has been changed. You belong to me now. You have an inheritance waiting for you. 
You have a new kingdom that's coming, a new home that's yours, an eternal family of people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You are mine. So Wes, would we follow Jesus? This is what discipleship looks like in which we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We trust Him. We walk with Him every day. We say, okay, Lord, this day is not about me, but it's about You. And so I'm yielding my rights and I'm submitting myself completely to You. Paul and Barnabas are discipling these believers how to follow Jesus, and they're doing it through encouragement and teaching. And as they're seeking to establish these healthy churches throughout the world, they're creating a culture of evangelism and discipleship. The second thing we see in the text is that healthy church planting includes calling pastors to shepherd. The text says, verse 23, they appointed elders for them in every church. You see, each church was led by a plurality, since the text is giving us this tense, multiple pastors, elders, overseers. It's all the same word. And they would have this task of shepherding, leading, and feeding God's people. All right, what are the marks of a pastor? Well, Paul would later write to Timothy the characteristics. In 1 Timothy 3, he says this, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert, or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders, so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. Note that except for the ability to teach in verse 2 of 1 Timothy 3, each of the qualifications is about character. It's about character. Each characteristic, save one, is about the integrity of the man. It's not about charisma. It's not about personality, moxie, charm, leadership guru, business savvy, social media influencer. These are not characteristics. God calls humble, godly, imperfect, but high character men who will lead, love, and shepherd his people. And as healthy churches are being planted and established, God is raising up these pastors, these overseers who will lead and shepherd these church plants. And Paul and Barnabas, they give a significant amount of time training and developing and equipping these men to prepare them to lead these congregations. But then they fast and pray over them, the text tells us, and then they commit them to the Lord. And they move on to the next town. They are entrusting these pastors and they're entrusting these churches to the Lord because ultimately the church belongs to Jesus. 
Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the bridegroom of the church. Jesus is the savior of the church. The church belongs to him. Pastors are under shepherds who are called and appointed by the chief shepherd to lead, love, serve, shepherd the flock that is among them. Indeed, pastors serve under the authority of Christ and will one day give an account. This is my sanctified imagination, but here's how I think it's going to go. We see in Scripture on the last day that there is a separation, Matthew 25, of the sheep and the goats. It's the final great white throne judgment. Unbelievers will go to Christ's left. Believers will go to His right. Those who did not believe the gospel are sent to a Christless eternity in hell, Jesus says. But then those who are believers, the sheep, they get to enter into His kingdom. And then there's a second judgment that's then coming for believers and only believers. It's 2 Corinthians 5. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. This is when you and I will be rewarded for faithfulness, for our works, for how we have served Jesus Christ. It's a celebration. The whole theme we see of this uh, judgment seat of Christ is like a, an award ceremony at the Olympics in which we are awarded and celebrated. And the way I envision it happening is that there's a sense in which we will receive our reward and the Lord says, go and enjoy the kingdom. Hey, you pastors, not so fast. You stay back here with me for a minute. And it is there that James 3.1, we will receive a stricter judgment. That those who desire to lead and shepherd, there's a greater accountability. Hebrews 13, one in which we are those who are going to give an account. You see, pastors serve under the authority of Christ, and we are going to give an account for how we lead and how we love and how we shepherd the flock of God that is among us. And can I just say, as your pastor, I rejoice in being your pastor. I love you so much. I take great joy in being in your life. Our pastoral staff at Westwood is so blessed to have the privilege of serving you. It is a really hard job, but I rejoice in it because you pray for me. I feel it. And I praise God that I have the privilege of getting to serve you and to encourage you and to disciple you and to teach you and to walk alongside you is one of the great honors of my life. You know, that phrase, I love you so much, but Jesus loves you more, is not just a motto. It's not a slogan. It's the heart of your shepherd for you. I take great delight in you. And I want to say thank you. Thank you for allowing me to privilege, the privilege of leading, my opinion, the best church in the whole wide world. You're my joy and my crown. And as Paul and Barnabas are leading pastors in each of these cities to shepherd these churches, these men who are going to step up and lead and encourage and walk alongside these churches to make sure they stay healthy and focused on the gospel and on the mission of making disciples, I want you to know, I, 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 I can't believe I have the privilege and the honor of getting to shepherd and lead you. So thank you for that. Thank you. I'm so grateful for you. So this is... Healthy church planting, healthy church planting, culture of evangelism and discipleship, calling pastors and shepherds. Thirdly, caring 
for all churches everywhere. All right, Paul and Barnabas, they're doubling back through Pisidian, Antioch, Pamphylia, Perga, and then Attilia. And over the course of about two years, they've traveled about 1,400 miles, probably by foot. It's a lot of walking. Some of these churches that they plant are smaller in nature. Why? Because they're in small towns. Now, Derby's not a big, robust city. It's not a Corinth or an Ephesus. So you can imagine these, these smaller churches. And yet, may I say to you, God is still at work amongst small churches. In fact, just because a church is big does not mean that God is blessing. And just because a church is small does not mean that they are faithless. We must not discern or seek to judge a church by its size, but by its obedience and faithfulness to Jesus and his word. That is what success looks like. That effectiveness of a church is not dependent upon its size, but its commitment and faithfulness to the gospel. That we need more healthy Churches of all sizes, reaching all kinds of people with the gospel. We need more churches. Currently, the population of Shelby County is 230,000 people. Westwood, if we doubled in size, we are still reaching less than 2% of our county. We need more churches. Healthy churches. Churches that exalt Jesus, churches that engage their neighbors, churches that are seeking to make much of Christ, churches that want to plant more churches, that plant more churches, that plant more churches. Several months ago, I introduced to our church Lift. It's a strategy in which we are looking to establish healthy, gospel-centered churches all throughout Shelby County. Now, God, by His grace, has already used Westwood in our past to plant healthy churches. In 2012, a Westwood multi-site campus uh, took root in Calera. Now, Christ Central Church in Calera is led by Jason Seals, and he's leading and loving and shepherding the people well. In 2019, Westwood, we sent out 25 people with Marcus Mullet to plant a church in Montevallo. Now, it's Providence Church, and they're reaching families and college students with the gospel. On August the 6th of this year, we're going to be planting Westwood in Espanol. This church will be designed to reach and disciple Hispanics in Shelby County with the gospel. And may God, by His grace, continue to use our church to see more healthy churches planted and established all throughout Shelby County. It's a work of the Spirit. It's something only God can do. But through the obedience of His people, we want to see the gospel go forth. We want to see more people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. This is the heartbeat of God, the mission of God, bringing people into a right relationship with himself through his son, Jesus. And the only way people can believe the gospel is if they hear it. Someone has got to tell them. And the vehicle that we see right here in Acts 14 is our churches. Churches are the vehicle of getting the gospel to the nations. And so God, may He, by His grace, up, raise up within our church many healthy churches that are reaching more and more people with the gospel. I need to hurry. Healthy church planting includes culture of evangelism and discipleship, calling pastors to shepherd, caring for all churches everywhere. Fourthly, celebrating God's work through the gospel. 
Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch, their sending church, and they gather by together and they celebrate. Right? They celebrate everything that God has done with them. Notice the text does not say what they did. It says what God did with them. That they're basking, they're, they're celebrating all that God has done. That even God has opened uh, the door for Gentiles to get in on this. Which, at the time, that was a very contentious point that we're going to unpack when we get to Acts 15. The fact that Gentiles, people who are not Jewish, can get in on the gospel, it was shocking to them. But Paul and Barnabas here, we see that they're, they're boasting in Christ. They're celebrating all that God has done in and through their mission, that now there are churches that have been planted all throughout Galatia. It's amazing the gospel is spreading. What Jesus said would happen in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is now coming to fruition. The gospel is going forth. And these men, they gather the church together and say, y'all, you can't believe what God has done. They're not bragging about themselves. They're not pointing to the name on the back of the jersey. They're glorifying Christ and look what he's done. They're declaring together Psalm 115 verse 1, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and your faithfulness. They're boasting in Christ and all that he has done in and through them. Oh, that we would be a church that loves to celebrate all that God has done in and through our church. Earlier in the service, we got to see two baptisms. I share with you, over the next eight weeks, seven of the next eight weeks, those baptismal waters are going to be stirred. More and more people are getting in those waters to publicly declare their faith in Jesus. We celebrate that. And by the way, when someone gets baptized, y'all, it's more important than a touchdown. And so it's okay to stand and clap and cheer and holler and make noise because someone is testifying, I've gone from death to life. There's no such thing as a boring resurrection. And so we proclaim and we celebrate what God has done. That's what Paul and Barnabas are doing there at the end of chapter 14. So Kenneth, what are you calling our church to? It's your impact point and it's this. Let's love Jesus's church until he calls us home. Let's love his church. We are in a time in which church is not really that popular in our culture. And unfortunately, we've shot ourselves in the foot. And at the same time, as messy as the church is, we still belong to Jesus. We are still the bride of Christ. Jesus still loves his wife, the church. So let us be a people who love Jesus' church. Let's encourage the church, teach the church, serve the church, give to the church, evangelize through the church, reach more people with the gospel through the church until Jesus calls us home.